All right, folks, welcome to Justify Your Existence, Daily Journal's podcast talking all things Mississippi State, Ole Miss, and all things SEC. Today, we're going to talk a little bit more specifically about uh, Mississippi State. I'm Stefan Kreischink, and I'm joined by Stadium's uh, Jeff Goodman and college, has, college basketball expert, uh, among the best out there, and, and obviously was one of the people on top of, of the Chris Jans hire at Mississippi State. Jeff, I appreciate you joining me today, man. No problem. Good to be with you. And uh, yeah, I think you uh, you got a good hire there. I think you got a good hire. And I think uh, Jans fits Mississippi State about as well as anybody I think could fit a job. And uh, we, we can go into that here in a little bit. Yeah, I guess kind of just to start off, I know you, you had been on top of this for a while, but well before the hire was had. And, and I think everyone at Mississippi State kind of knew uh, where the, the direction was going with Ben Holland, you know, as, as February rolled around and the team con- continued to struggle to to make the NCAA tournament, didn't meet expectations this year. I guess what, when did it kind of become apparent that that Jans would be a candidate? It, it kind of seems like at least for even a few years, he's been a name that's kind of been going around the, the hot boards, especially, you know, at, at Power 5 programs. I mean, you know, again, he, he was a guy who had success at, at two mid-major stops. Um, New Mexico State had an off year during the pandemic year with all the injuries and everything like that. But, you know, this year, I, I think it it was already done before they beat UConn. I was there for the UConn game. And, you know, to me, it was already for the most part done in the mind of John Cohen. And we, we saw it, you know, right after they get eliminated. Um, it, you know, they signed the, the, the papers, I'm sure, agreed to it verbally. And, and, uh, and he's off to Starkville. But Again, James, when you watch him, and I was there for those two games, I can't remember where they were now because I was bouncing back and forth between <laughs> Buffalo and Pittsburgh. I think it was he was in Buffalo, right? right. He played I Buffalo. think you're right. It, it was, it was because I saw two. I only went to Pittsburgh for one. Um, but you know, listen, the the way he can deal with players and and the way he can get them to play hard is to me a gift and, and that's something a lot of coaches don't have and he, he's kind of an old school guy and it's not easy to do that anymore uh, but I think you could see it with how he manages and how he dealt with Teddy Allen uh, and some of those other players on Mississippi State and again got them to pull the upset over UConn and then almost pull an upset over Arkansas I mean they were they were damn close to winning that one so again James is a guy who's had a lot of respect in the industry for years and again, he's not a, a silver spoon guy. So I think he expects his players and wants the type of players to kind of that fit him and his coaching style and, and really kind of what he's all about. Right. You mentioned there how, how quick, you know, that was a, such a quick turnaround after, after uh, New Mexico State was eliminated. I guess when you see, you know, even specifically in the SEC, how many job openings they were, the, the coaching carousel all around college basketball, did you sense that sense of urgency from John Cohen to, you know, let's go get chance before anyone else can swoop in because there's certainly going to be teams who are probably going to try to. Yeah. I mean, and he got an earlier start, you know, he started right. calling around even before the Ben Howland move was officially made, which is smart. You know, you want to, you know, call a bunch of, of people in the industry and, and not just rely on a search firm to do your job for you and, and bring you five names. But I thought John Cohen was very, very smart, very methodical, very, um, you know, particular about how he went away, you know, about this, this process and did his homework. And I, I give him credit. Um, and, and I, I thought the only thing, you know, that I was kind of scratching my head with was, all right, everybody knew Ben Hallam was out. All right. Why not just tell him, why not just tell him, all right, you're out. Do you want to coach the NIT or not? 
you know, if you want to coach it, that's fine. Let's put something out there that, that you're done so I can really officially start the process. But I think he unofficially started the process long before Ben Hallam was out. And, and again, for, for my taste, that's probably the right move because you ended up with a guy that you might not have got if you didn't move quickly. Yeah, that's kind of been the reputation with John Cohen and across all the, you know, sports and hires he makes. He kind of moves quick and, and pretty under the table. And do, do you see a lot of athletic directors doing doing similar things like that? Or, or is this kind of unique watching John Cohen do that? Yeah, very different. Each guy's different. Each woman's different. Um, you know, some rely heavily on the search firm, like I said. Uh, some don't have a list of names. Obviously, John, the one advantage he had was he, he knew he was – it wasn't like – the coach left and surprised him. He knew this was coming for the most part. So he, he kind of had a list and, and was able to do his due diligence throughout the course of the season. And then as the season kind of wrapped up and he realized that, yeah, he was going to make a move with, with Ben Howland, but um, yeah, they're, they're all different. And again, I, I just scratched my head at, at some of them that rely not exclusively, but heavily on the search firms because these search firm guys have no idea what they're doing um, for the most part. You know, some will call and, and do their due diligence, but a lot of them have no idea the guys that they're, they're putting out, for, you know, forth. And again, they're not necessarily picking the, the coach, but they're given a list of three, five, seven people that, that the AD should choose from. And oftentimes the AD relies on that list. Right. Right. So let's go back over to, to Jan's a little bit. I'm curious, you know, you obviously have a, a good relationship with Chris. When did that kind of start? When did you kind of start to get, get to know him a bit and see that, you know, he was one of the names, you know, up and coming through the college basketball ranks? Yeah. I mean, I, I've known him for probably 10, 15 years, went back when he was an assistant, um, you know, years ago, kind of breaking into this whole thing. And I think I probably got to know him through Steve Forbes is my guess, but I don't, I don't remember exactly when I first met him or, you know, I go out in the road and I came up to him recruiting. So uh, I remember him from being in the gyms, you know, recruiting and, and talking to him in, in that kind of aspect, which is a lot easier, you know, than getting the coach in the middle of the season. But, you know, Jansen, one thing about him is again, he, he's, he's new to the high major head coaching kind of gig here, but he's been doing it a long time. So I don't think he's going to be uh, rattled by anything. Uh, again, as you just saw on the biggest stage, beating UConn, almost beating Arkansas, you know, he's been through it a lot. And, and I think he can recruit a wide array of, of, of kind of kids and players and push the right buttons with some of these guys, but you know, he can go the Juco route. He'll, he'll go the transfer route and you have to, those two, especially in Mississippi State and Starkville, you, you better be able to go both. And, you know, I'm sure he'll get some high school kids as well and try to develop them. But I don't think he's hell-bent on, on, on one group exclusively. And I think that's how you have to be at Mississippi State to get it done. And you probably got to be older, you know, because you're in the SEC. You're going up against teams and programs that are probably going to have more, more talent, um, you know, from a high school perspective, you know, Kentucky – you see what Tennessee's done lately. Rick Barnes is recruiting and Nate Oates and Musselman and Bruce Pearl. Those are going to be hard teams to beat. So the best way to do it, and you don't have to beat them necessarily, just get in the tournament, right? Finish fifth or sixth, get in the tournament. Uh, but I think the best way to do it is, is, again, transfers, jukes, some high school kids, put it all together, be old, and have a chance to beat some of these teams that, well, they're not quite as young as they used to be 
you know, Kentucky being an example this past year. Right. Now you mentioned the portal there and, and Jans has already done that. I mean, he brings in Deshaun Davis over from Oregon state. And then, you know, the next day he loses a guard in, in Cam Carter, I guess it, is that something you're just seeing a lot of now of coaches coming in and saying, you know, this is a retool, not a rebuild. I believe were his, his words where he's going to come in, he's going to hit the portal and, you know, this isn't going to be uh, Hey, give us time. This is Christian saying, Hey, next year we want to be in the NCAA tournament. We want to contend. Yeah, there's no reason to ever kind of have a complete rebuild um, because right. you can hit the portal. Now, the key with hitting the portal is getting the right the right guys. Right. You know, that's the hardest part of the portal here. You can get really good quickly or you can get really bad quickly if you make a couple mistakes. So, you know, you got to really do your homework. And and the one thing with Jans is he knows a lot of coaches around the country. So I think he can call a lot of these guys and find out the truth about them and if they're in the portal, why they're in the portal, if he should take them, if there's, you know, and he's done it. Listen, Teddy Allen was a, not a second, not a third. I think he was a fourth chance kid. <laughs> so he's shown the ability to, to do that and be able to, uh, again, deal and manage um, some, some guys that are probably not easy to, to deal with and manage. Yeah, no, and, and Teddy Allen, definitely a, a standout there in New Mexico State. I think Mississippi State fans probably were, were watching that UConn game and thinking, well, would it be, wouldn't it be too bad if we had a player like Teddy Allen on the team? So definitely a good, a good addition there. You know, one thing I'm curious about, and, and people, you know, when, assist, when someone's an assistant somewhere, it's, you know, never 100% clear, you know, what exactly his role, what kind of role did, did Chris have um, at Wichita State, you know, under Greg Marshall there, and, and obviously a, a team that for a few years had very successful runs. They did, and I'm not a big Greg Marshall guy uh, <laughs> at all. And and listen, I'll say it the way it is. Like, right. I, I just don't think Greg Marshall should ever be coaching kids again. When you hit a player like Greg Marshall did, uh, that's it for me. You, you should never be allowed to coach again. He's trying to get back in a little bit, but I don't know if that's going to happen. But listen, Marshall threw Jans a lifeline to get back to Wichita State. Uh, and, and, and I think Jans will forever be indebted to him. And Marshall did that with several coaches. He did it with Steve Forbes. He did it with Donnie Jones. So I'll give him credit where credit is due. Uh, but again, when you hit a player and you treat some of the players that, that Greg Marshall did, uh, the way he did, yeah, I, I just, I don't have any uh, sympathy for, especially him getting fired and getting seven and a half million uh, out the door. I think he should have been uh, gotten zero out the door. But anyway, let's get back to the, the question. <laughs> um, I, I think, listen, Greg Marshall's a hell of a coach. That's the thing that Chris Jans learned working for Greg Marshall is you can't dispute Greg Marshall's success, X's and O's, how good a coach he is, right? And even how good a motivator he is to some degree. They aren't the tactics that I'd use. And I think Jans probably learned a lot working for Greg Marshall. Again, the X's and O's and maybe, you know, how not to treat kids, you know, how to, how to go about it a little bit of a different way. Uh, so I think Marshall, the experience of working for Marshall – um, definitely helped Jans in terms of how he coaches and, and really, again, the adjustments he makes, how hard he gets his kids to play. Uh, Marshall, Marshall's a hell of a coach. Just wish he hadn't done some of the other shit. Right. Right. And, and kind of, you know, talking about the reputations, things like that of coaches, obviously when Chris, it was talked a lot about when he was hired at New Mexico state and, and maybe a little bit less now that he's come here, but the situation at Bowling Green, um, you know, him inappropriately touching a woman at, at a bar, you know, it, it seems like it's settled a bit. Um, what, what have your thoughts kind of been and what have you heard maybe throughout the industry of how Chris has maybe 
um, you know, change from that kind of, it, it seems like he's kind of embraced the fact that, you know, he screwed up, he did something he shouldn't have done and, and kind of has tried to change um, his reputation, his brand, and, and I guess the way he just goes about things ever since that happened. Yeah. And I, I think he was forever uh, grateful to Mario, the, the New Mexico state AD right. for giving him another chance. And, and again, he wasn't sure he'd get it just like Steve Forbes wasn't sure he'd get it for doing something different. Um, you know, well, while he was at Tennessee during the NCAA investigation. So, you know, coaches get second chances too. Some people don't want to give them second chances because they're adults, but we all make mistakes. I mean, listen, I tweet plenty of things that I probably shouldn't tweet. I'd love <laughs> to have back. Um, you know, Chris's was significant and I'm sure he went through a lot um, with his wife, with his family and, and came out the other side, probably better for it, understanding. And uh, listen, the coolest part for me, was watching that UConn game and and watching his wife was literally right behind me. And the anxiety on her face is, is they're getting towards the end. Same thing with the Arkansas game. And, and then, the, you know, they lose to Arkansas. And you could see just see the emotions come out of her, her you know, her face. And it was um, it, it was pretty cool to see. It really was. It was it was cool to see for me with everything that he had been through. Right, right. No, yeah, definitely. It's, it's probably the best part of, of March Madness is some of those camera shots on family members and things like that. Folks, we're joined again by Jeff Goodman, a college basketball expert for Stadium. Uh, Jeff, a, a Hoosier at heart now with his daughter, uh, decided, Natalia, decided to come to IU. And, and he's seen, um, you know, even at Indiana, a lot of those, those moves in the portal and, and things like that, players leave and players come in. One thing I wanted to ask you is, um, you know, across college basketball, it seems like as soon as a player leaves the portal, it's either – you know, this guy's quitting on a team, this guy, you know, he, he doesn't want to stick at one place. How much have you kind of seen the opposite side of the portal where, where either a new coach comes in, and I'm not talking specifically about Mike Woodson or Chris Janzi, I'm kind of just talking about the landscape of a new coach coming in and being like, hey, you know, maybe we'll put you in a portal and find you a better place, kind of de facto cutting the player from the team. And it usually goes like this stuff. It usually goes, he brings him in and he says, hey, listen, you know, you could stay if you want to stay but you're, you're probably not going to play. Right. So then what does the kid do? The kid's <laughs> like, all right, well, like I want to play, so I'm going to hit the portal. So yeah, it, it goes both ways. And, and that's my problem with, with people that are like, well, the kid's quitting. I, I get it. Listen, it's different now. I started the transfer list. I'm actually the, the, the one who started this list about 15 years ago. And it started with 250 players on it. And now we're at, you know, probably you know, 1200 right now when you, when you don't include walk-ons and that's the, the numbers inflated because people include walk-ons and I don't think they should be included in the list. But when I first started doing it too, I didn't reach out to every school. There was no portal obviously until a couple of years ago, but even when I started, I didn't reach out to every school. I didn't know an assistant from every school over the last few years. When I did it, I reached out to every single school, got every transfer and the number kept going up. And in this year, it's different than last year because you have the kids getting the extra year due to the, the COVID pandemic. So I, I think the number is going to, in a couple of years, we'll go back down to maybe a thousand, but it's not changing anytime soon because especially these mid-major kids, you know, if you're a mid-major kid, you've, you've done, you've averaged 15 or 20, you know, for three years or something like that. And a high major comes after you, you're saying to yourself, like, why not? Why not give it a shot and see if I can play at a big 10 or a big 12 or pac 12 school, when they didn't want me coming out of high school, let me see if I can do it. And maybe it'll help me get to the league. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. It makes sense. And how much now that, that we've had a few years, you know, with the portal under our belt, what's, what's been happening to the kids that don't pick up there, There's a lot of kids that go into the portal and don't get picked up by a team. You know, what, what kind of happens with them? And, and are those kids probably in a spot anywhere where maybe their basketball career is coming towards then? Yeah. I mean, I, I think again, there's a lot of kids that, that, again, those seniors that got the extra year that throw their name in the portal and they're just like, yeah, hey, let me see. Right. And if not, I'll, I'll move on and play pro or start, you know, my career in, in something other than basketball. Uh, but yeah, it's different now because, you know, there's so many uh, guys in the portal right now. And, and there's the kids that are getting hurt the most are probably the high school kids. You know, those kind of mid tier high school kids are getting cut out. The elite ones are the elite ones. They're going to get scholarships no matter what, but like the low major division one high school player, now a lot of those school the coaches are saying like all right you know what i could take that kid but it's going to take him a couple years or i can just go to the portal and get a a mid-major player who didn't play a lot and i couldn't have got him out of high school but now i can get him let me take him and he's older and he'll help me win now because there's so much pressure on these coaches now they get fired after three or four years where that never used to be the case 20 or 30 years ago there's just more pressure on them to win now so you need guys that can produce now, which means transfers over high school players. Right, right. No, that makes sense. And, um, you know, I want to ask you a couple more things. And circling back, you were talking a little bit about assistance earlier and, and forgot to ask you about um, James Miller and, and, and Dave Anwar, the guys that, that Jan's brought in with him, with his staff, obviously coming over from New, Mex- New Mexico State with him. And, you know, it, it kind of seems still unsure exactly what George Brooks' role is going to be. It almost sounds like they're waiting to see if they're going to get a third assistant or whether or not George is going to be the one. Uh, put in that position. Well, what do you think of those two guys that are, that are coming over here and, and kind of how they've, you know, meshed with Jans over the, over the years, obviously they know him very well. Yeah. And that's great. Like continuity is huge within a staff and James Miller should have gotten the, the head job at New Mexico state. I feel bad that he didn't, he deserved it. You know, Greg hires a guy again, I won't get into it, but uh, he was with Marshall for the, the punch. Uh, he was there. He saw it. And, uh, Anyway, we, we won't go there. He, he's worked for Will Wade and Greg Marshall are, are, are the last two guys he worked for. I would have given the job to James Miller, um, but again, uh, that is what it is. I, I think, to me, it's a win for Mississippi State. It's a win for Chris Jans. Uh, Anwar, I've known forever. Uh, he does a great job grinding. That's what you need to be. You need to be a staff full of grinders um, these days because you've got to be able to, to work all your angles uh, and I think a key one, too, is going to be an interesting one for James and his staff. It's going to be NIL. Now, I don't know how much money they're going to be able to drum up quickly there. I don't know what Ben Howland did. Probably not a whole hell of a lot, if I, knowing Ben. Uh, but I think, James, you, you, you've got to be creative with this. I'm not saying you're going to outbid, you know, Alabama or Arkansas or Kentucky or Auburn right now. But you don't have to. You don't have to. you got to outbid the next tier or at least be competitive with NIL. Um, so I think that's going to be key for guys like Miller and Amor and, and certainly Jans to, to figure out and figure it out quickly. Yeah, no, definitely. That the way the NIL and the portal and everything is mixing in certainly certainly creates some some interest there in what college basketball is going to look like in, in the few years to come. And um, you know, kind of on that note, I want to ask you something a little bit broader, and I'll let you go after this with, with Mississippi State. I know you work specifically more, you know, covering the men's side of college basketball, but Mississippi State, you know, they hire a new women's basketball coach and the Mississippi State women's basketball brand is, is pretty big. And they're doing they're doing renovations to Humphrey Coliseum. And as we've talked about, bringing in Chris Jans, 
do you see that Mississippi State has potential to have a pretty decent college basketball brand with all these changes? If, if these hires work out and, and the renovations go as expected, that, that Mississippi State could, in terms of, you know, the reputation it has as a football and a baseball school, kind of build a bit of a basketball brand and have a little bit of a national presence, at least compared to maybe what they've had, I mean, the last few decades or so? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting with Mississippi State, right? They have Rick Stansberry. He had a lot of success, but those of us who have covered know kind of what that program was like then, right? Like it was, yeah, there was all sorts of shit going on in the program then. Um, and then Scott Strickland brings in Rick Ray to clean it up, essentially. Clean it up. That's what he wanted to do. Rick Ray cleaned it up and he got fired three years later. And I thought that was complete BS. I, I still say that. I'll tweet that. I like Scott Strickland, but I thought it was BS because he had to clean up one of the biggest messes in college basketball and he did it. Now, did he win at a high level? No, but you didn't hire, you knew it was going to be a five or a six year deal at that point. And Rick Ray, one of the better guys, I get it. You went out and you got Ben Howland, a guy who had been to three straight final fours, hell of a coach. He did a good job at Mississippi state, but was never able to kind of get him over the hump for the most part. And you need, you need to infuse it with a little more energy, right? Ben's a basketball coach, an X's and O's guy, doesn't want to go out in the community, talk. He never did that, never had to do it at UCLA, really. Now you got a guy that can. I, I think that's, that's the selling point, too, for Jans, is not only can he coach, but I think he'll be a guy that can kind of connect in the community when they really haven't had that in a while. Um, so I, I think the brand is what it is. It's not going to be again, Kentucky um, or Arkansas in, in the SEC for basketball. But why can't it eventually be what Alabama or Auburn was such a garbage job before Bruce Pearl came in? It was awful. Right. The worst job. I mean, I remember being at ESPN when Bruce, you know, called like I was literally with him when he took the job in the back hallways in, in Bristol at ESPN. And he told me about it. And I'm like, really? Auburn. Now, Bruce, remember, had the show cause. He had no choice at that point. He didn't know if he'd get back in. Um, but why can't you turn Mississippi State into a, a – you can. It's been proven now with Bruce Pearl and Auburn what he's been able to do. So, absolutely, he can do it. Uh, but it's going to take work. Right, right. And, and Chris has already kind of done the, the community stuff. He was at a baseball game, and they have T-shirts saying Jan's the man now. So, uh, the Jan's the man era is – I started at Mississippi State, Jeff. I, I appreciate um, you know the, the coverage that you've kind of done too, and helping us uh, know that that Jans was going to be the move probably for for a few weeks before it even happened. Not supposed to tell anybody that. <laughs> I know, I know, but but John Cohen was out there. He was talking, and and words word spread. So, but I, I appreciate you uh, you joining us today, talking about this, and, and looking forward to talking forward, and maybe running into you at an Indiana game one of these days. We we got to do it. We got to do it. Get uh, me, you, Grace, Talia together. And, uh, and catch an Indiana game at some point. Well, listen, I, I appreciate all that, that you've helped. You and Grace have helped, Talia. That's, uh, that's more important to me than anything else. So um, good luck down there and, and stay in touch. And anything you need, you know, just give me a call. Absolutely. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for joining us today. You got it.